I can't walk. Even with the surgery, I might never be able to. Cut! Never. Can't. Those are just words. They're meaningless. It's time for you to get out of that bed and do something. You're not a kid anymore. The world isn't just going to hand it to you. You want something, you're going to have to crawl across the floor. Use your damn teeth if you have to. You're going to do whatever it takes. And I'm always going to be right here next to you. Because I'll always be your teacher. Now go get it. Yes, Sensei. Welcome to No Mercy, a Cobra Kai kickback. My name is Jacob Burrows and I represent Miyagi-Do because when life gives me lemons, I fly to Okinawa. My name is Jim Scampoli. I represent Cobra Kai because I knew immediately how to kick the tree off the top of that log. Not that it was that deep, but I knew it immediately. Yeah, it was kind of one, a pretty basic one, but they got there in the end. Hawk showing off, uh, showing he's going to be the new ace in the hold for Cobra Kai. We'll get into it. So welcome to Season 3, Episode 4, The Right Path, uh, directed by Lynn Oding. Uh, story by Josh Heald, John Hurwitz, Hayden Schlossberg. I'm just going to stop saying them and like yeah. story by You Know Who plus Michael Jonathan Smith, who also wrote the teleplay. We've seen this kind of pattern play out where the actual teleplay, i.e. the script, is written by one person and the story is a collaboration with the big three and this one person who then bangs out the script. Um, Lynn Oding, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing the name, I think... Uh, he is a stunt, uh, previously like a stunt coordinator, uh, who's, who also directed the previous episode. Um, yes, previously a stunt coordinator worked on like straight out of Compton, Olympus Mm. has fallen, uh, and was a stunt performer in like Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, uh, Star Trek, uh, where he was the double actor for John Cho, um, so, yeah, just a little fun fact there. I don't That's know cool. uh, much about uh, his directing, but I just wanted to mention it because I thought in this episode, it's not like there's a huge amount of, for being Cobra Kai, there's not like a huge amount of action if you're not counting like the big football kick flips and shit. Like there's definitely some stunt stuff going on there, which is pretty cool. But uh, yeah. Um, so that's the team that put this one together. Episode four, season three. Uh, here we are, Okinawa. I'm going to just rant for a second because I usually hand it over to you. Hell but yeah. what the fuck is Daniel doing? Like, I get it. Um, Daniel, it, it actually makes sense. You know what? It makes sense if you're Daniel to go like, I need to go see my old grandmaster. But just anyone looking in on this situation surely has to go what the fuck is daniel doing going to this important business meeting getting like a no and then flying to an island that's fairly distant from mainland japan a tropical kind of paradise almost and just hanging out there drinking tea and reading letters uh what is daniel thinking uh i i mean it is insane as long as the show recognizes that it's insane i'm not saying it's not believable but surely it's insane jim or am i just not do i not have faith in miyagi and his teachings although i get maybe i could poke some holes in your um rationale because looking it up here this is saying a, a flight from tokyo to okinawa takes approximately uh between three and uh two and a half hours oh so between two and a half hours and three hours uh okay. you could fly for about 220 us dollars that's actually not that bad okay I mean, yeah, I, I'm just saying his energies may be better spent <laughs> elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, 
regardless. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm glad he's not literally squeezing the last money <laughs> out of the the, che- the the sort of bank accounts of his auto business. Um, and I guess to be fair, they haven't started going under yet. So I guess they've got money to blow on fancy tea ceremonies. Now that's just the first part. What about the second part where he's going there to hang out with his ex and never mention to his well, wife slash business partner that he's leaving Tokyo to go to an island. And I know it's not planned, but he just, ends yeah. up having like intimate chats with his ex and never brings it up with his wife. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I was going to say he didn't plan to. It's not like he was like, sweet, I can go check in on my ex. It just does happen. Um, so I'll give them that. But yeah, I mean, maybe, you know, I, I feel like they have a very good communicating relationship. Maybe we just didn't see the scene. I'm sure he mentioned it. Oh, by the way, you know, when I was there, I mean, you'd have to mention it because the way, th- well, that, that's getting into the future. Uh, but I feel like she's aware of it. She ends, uh, Amanda ends up being aware of it. Uh, you're, I've seen you're, some very, very reasonable deals on on flights here as well, as low as a, about a hundred, uh, hundred euro or hundred dollars. So uh, yeah, you know what? Shut me right up, that did. <laughs> Although I mean, I'm still with you because I mean, I talked about this in the last episode. I don't love the machinations that like have to take place to get this to happen. And in a weird way, even though I love that it happens, I love that. Daniel is in Okinawa and we get to call back to these uh to, to Karate Kid 2. It, it I guess there really is no way to naturally make this work. And I guess they kind of took the best option. But even re-watching it, even though I I, I I'm loving it because I'm a karate kid fan, obviously. If you take a step back and look at it, it's like what the fuck is happening? Uh and, and and even just the idea that like he just runs into her like i guess that is kismet that's that's the the the, the kiss of good old fate that he just happens to you know run into her there randomly while she's dancing um but i i just i don't know i i, I don't love it i don't love the build up and the 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 the, the way it happens and then of, of course it, you know to jump around to the ending then chosen shows up uh, it, it's it's a little thin. Let me be clear. I love, uh, also love seeing Daniel in this place. I love Daniel fantasizing about going back and connecting with his roots and finding that they bulldozed his roots and built a mall there. I love that. I love him meeting Kamiko because I've I've always been Team Kamiko. Um, like Kamiko is best girl. Maybe Amanda is best girl, <laughs> but Kamiko is second ahead of Ali anyway. Uh, so you know, I'm very happy to get to see these things. Yeah, and I I'm even okay with the reasoning of it i just want it more acknowledged in the show how self-indulgent this is of daniel because it would be pretty self-indulgent under other circumstances but when he's doing it when like last season the whole thing of it was with him and amanda that he's too obsessed with karate and shit to deal to actually be there and work at his business selling cars and now he's taken a business trip across the world to work on the whole selling cars thing and i just can't 
imagine how annoyed Amanda would rightfully be if she knew he was flying off to hang out where his karate sensei grew up. Does it have any connection at all to the cars? No, of course not. He's just there on a journey of self-discovery that is really poorly timed, even though it's a cheap flight. The fact that he's just going off and doing this when he's supposed to be saving the business, we'll touch on next episode, I'm sure, how it all pans out. But I just... Like, I again, I believe it. I just think it's a, a real dick move. And it, I believe it, and it leads to great stuff that I enjoy. But we have to acknowledge that it's kind of bananas. And I, I, don't, I wouldn't think it was bananas if he wasn't there for this super important reason to save the business. He just had a big pep talk last episode about it, right? If he was there for any other reason, I'd be like, this is great. But yeah. then he wouldn't have a reason to go to Japan, right? But it's just that it's this, they've built up us up to care about this car dealership. This connects to what you were talking about last episode. They don't really care about the car dealership. And- business so but but they've built that up as like the thing we're supposed to care about right now and then they just drop it for the rest of the episode as he reconnects with Miyagi which is something we want to see so I'm not going to complain too much but it's it's obviously contrived (laughs) yeah yeah and I guess to your point like if they just leaned into him being self-indulgent and just going off because he's just needs to find himself and he feels like he's lost everything and He's trying to connect to Mr. Miyagi to find reason behind it. To me, that would make more sense. Uh, and at the very least, it would be easier to them for them to address how self-indulgent it is. Um, and yeah, it's just, I don't know. I, I already talked about it in the last episode. I just, I don't love this car buildup and all that stuff. But either way, we get through it. He's, they get him partway there because he's in Tokyo and they're like, ah, what's one more step? Let's go to Okinawa. I mean, even the idea that he's just chilling at the bar, skimming through his photos and he's looking at him and Miyagi and then the bartender has to give him some sage advice and then the TV has to push him over the, uh, push him over the top with the, you know, come to Okinawa and it's like, fuck yeah. And maybe it's because. I mean, I guess this wouldn't play that much better, but we I knew going into this season they were going to Okinawa. So part of me is also like, all right, let's get to Okinawa. And then we finally get there, and I just didn't love the way they got to it. But it could yeah. be just because I already knew we were going there. Yeah, I... Uh... Actually, what you said, it kind of struck a chord with me. What if Because he is going to, like, see Miyagi, kind of. Yeah. But... Last episode at the end, or well, kind of in the middle, when he's having the speech about why they're going to save the car company, and he's talking about, you know, uh, that it's so important to him and that Mr. Miyagi's advice, and he's having a flashback to Mr. Miyagi guiding him. I feel like he already has Miyagi guiding him in that he has the whole memory of, like, work for... Uh, don't work for money, you know, work for passion. And he has the tree flashback. If he was like, oh, I'm so lost, I don't know what to do. uh, Maybe that would have made more sense for him to go like, I've totally lost track of my master's teachings or whatever. I'm not sure that would have made more sense. Uh, But it's just, it is like, it's also like the fact that the meeting at the start of the episode is like less than a minute long yeah. and he just has to take no for an answer and doesn't try anything else. Like last episode we had Johnny, it's just basic, as I said, kind of basic storytelling, a try-fail cycle. So his character tries to do something and fails, tries to do something and fails and then kind of succeeds. 
Daniel tries one time and it's like less than a minute and then he's in a bar depressed and then he flies off to Okinawa. It just makes him really <laughs> weird and unsympathetic yeah. if he doesn't have other things that kind of string him along, bring him to Okinawa. At the same time, we don't give a shit about Tokyo. We want to go to Okinawa. So I get it. It works because we, the viewers, are so on board with this happening already. As you said, before the season even started, we knew they were going to Okinawa. Uh, I always thought it was to heal Miguel's legs, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that probably would have been really shitty now that that's I think true. about it. But that's what everyone assumed, right? Or yeah. was that just me? <laughs> I kind of assumed it as well. <laughs> anyway, he goes to Okinawa. <laughs> yeah, he goes to Okinawa. And then, yeah, we have Crease, you know, kick this tree off this top. And this kind of, I talked about this in either the first or second, uh, uh, whichever episode when they have the um, the mouse. The yeah, yeah, and the snake. Because it's like, are, are these people not paying attention to what Crease is all about? And maybe it's because they haven't seen Karate Kid 1 and Karate Kid 3. But I don't give <laughs> them the pass on not seeing season 1 and 2 of Cobra Kai because they were there for it. At least Hawk was. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But maybe that's why Hawk gets it, because how do these guys not get it? Uh, this is the person Crease is. You kick the fucking log because there are no rules and you do whatever you can to get your objective. Uh, I mean, it's still illustrated pretty well. Uh, but even the dumb guy that's like, hey, no fair. He cheated. You think Crease cares about cheating? Absolutely not. I'm surprised he wasn't like, you're out and yeah. you're out because he <laughs> yeah. you know, is crazy for kicking people out. Um, <laughs> But yeah, and how symbolic is it that he has a bonsai tree yes. up on a pedestal and they kick it down? Whoa. Yeah, great stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is kind of like Hawk um, getting to be the cool guy in Cobra Kai. So he still kind of has that status here because we saw Tori come in because we saw Kreese kind of dangling. We're going to need a new killer or whatever uh, to be the guy. Um and then we do see Miguel kind of connecting to that because he's seeing that on social media. He's seeing like Hawk keep post keeps posting about like the snake and all this shit. And Miguel's just kind of like, whatever. Like yeah. obviously because he's got his own issues that are way bigger, but also because like, I don't know, that was <laughs> that used to be him. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, also. So <laughs> he does like he's roll. already he's had the surgery now and he's he but he's worried that he's not gonna be able to walk. They're not gonna know right away. Yeah. Uh He's going to get a big slice of chocolate cake. And uh, Johnny's there as well. And he kind of gets the news from the nurse. Uh, but he doesn't go in yet. He's kind of like, nah, I need, Miguel needs to be with his family. He's kind of keeping his distance. Because, I mean, Miguel did tell him to fuck off. And yeah. his, his mother did as well at some point. And so, I, think he's, I think he's also still, I mean, he's still obviously like intimidated and afraid of you know what is he gonna say or if this you know if it doesn't work out it's obviously he still blames himself and there's still that question why did this happen so you know there's a lot going on it's he's not ready to see miguel yet but going back to this nurse if i was in a bed and i couldn't walk and i was worried about the if is the surgery even going to work i mean we had this surgery but it's not how it doesn't work that way where you just immediately are better uh, and then they're like, well, let me just get you a big piece of cake. I'd be like, I, that's when I'd be the melodramatic person in a movie or TV show. <laughs> that's fucking throwing stuff yeah. off the wall. Are you serious? I'm stuck in this bed. I can't walk. And you're offering me cake. <laughs> How am I going to work off those Carol calories, Carol? Yeah. <laughs> I can't fucking walk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Understandable. yeah, Johnny doesn't go in yet. He's not ready. <laughs> 
But the good thing about Johnny is he has two, like, children. So when things are rough with one, he can go try to patch things up with the other one. And then <laughs> when that doesn't work, he can kind of go back to the original one. So he kind of gets to yeah. do over. So he only has to have one functioning. He only needs to be a father figure to one person at a time. And he can kind of shift back and forth. Yeah, and Johnny is on the phone with Bobby and um, trying to, like, kind of explain himself. And it, at least from what we hear, this kind of, it does seem like even Bobby's, like, pretty annoyed at him. Uh, Cause he's like, tell him that, you know, I'll, I'll make it up to him. And, he's, and then he's like, okay, fine. I will tell him myself. Uh, yeah. But you know, he's still Johnny can't figure out this having a, a, a real son. And then uh, like kind of an adopted son here. He can't juggle these, these sons yet. Nope. He can't juggle at all. Um, so we have Daniel arriving in Okinawa. He wants to go to Tomi village. We get a bit of build up with sort of flashbacks, I think, and him just wistfully looking out the car window and flashbacks to Karate Kid Part 2. We see Kubiko, we see the village, we see him fighting and sparring with Mr. Miyagi, and then he arrives, and it's a fucking mall. What a great moment, what a great (laughs) FU. I especially like the bit, honestly, where like the tourism information center or whatever is like, and he's like, weren't the villagers upset? She's like, no, they brought like modern stuff and jobs, <laughs> so everyone didn't have to be hungry and worry about the farm. Like <laughs> they wanted to be modernized, obviously, because it was pretty shit there. Remember? And he's like, "No, it wasn't shit. It was cool." <laughs> but it's like, yeah, it was cool for a little bit. It's yeah. not cool when the rice crops fail and you don't have anything to eat. <laughs> yeah, it's cool to go, like go and find yourself and then go back to yeah. your city <laughs> suburban life. Uh, it it should be said that. Uh, Karate Kid 2 did not film in Okinawa. Uh, they filmed in Hawaii. Uh, yeah. And uh, Tommy Tommy Village Green is not in Okinawa, although Cobra Kai does shoot, did shoot in Okinawa. So it is like them kind of making good on the Karate Kid promise. Although I've read a little bit up on this, the Tommy Village Green stuff, just somewhere they filmed in Atlanta because uh, they were yeah. like, we're not going to waste time building a mall to film in Okinawa. We want to make sure all, all our Okinawa shots are more epic than that. Uh, but it is cool that they were able to actually go there and shoot, uh, unlike Karate Kid Part 2. Well, for sure. And I mean, the whole point of Tommy Village Green is that it's been like Americanized with like Red Lobster and KFC yeah. and The Gap. So just taking something like that and throwing some kanji here and there <laughs> is obviously a more efficient way of doing that. It just makes total sense to spend the budget instead on uh, doing some cool Okinawa shots. It <laughs> makes perfect sense. Um, so we have Robbie working a soup kitchen. Uh, Johnny uh, shows up. And he looks like he fits in, so, you know, no problem. He probably gets a meal, good for him. He doesn't really have any money, so he he might have been going there and just accidentally saw Robbie, is my theory. Um, but he wants to talk to him, um, and he's being persistent about it as he, you know... Robbie's always kind of pushed him away, but he's always had these puppy dog eyes of, but I really want a dad though. Yeah. Um, and for once, Johnny kind of picks up on it and doesn't fuck off immediately. He's kind of hanging out, eating, um, and then tries to go up and talk to him. Uh, he, he does get to flirt with crazy um, homeless lady. So that's fun. See her back in the Yeah, picture. homeless Lynn um, is in the line yeah. and she does, don't take my porridge, Goldilocks or whatever she says to her. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm just going to continue with this storyline because basically what happens then is that he goes up and tries to talk to Robbie, give him a hand, like, oh, I'm your father, let me give you a hand. 
And then the conversation quickly turns to why he didn't show up the other day. It's because he was with Miguel. And uh, Johnny's like, well, I'm not the one who put him in the hospital or whatever. Cool. Great line. uh, Great line. Robbie, understandably, is annoyed. They spill the fucking pea soup or whatever all over the place and it's all a a giant shit show and johnny gets thrown out yeah it doesn't quite work um and i mean they do they they're setting up some stuff here because they're like oh i see you're doing this community service to to get out early i mean i don't know if that means you get out in three months but maybe it does i guess we'll see (laughs) as we go through these episodes (laughs) but so he's doing yeah this community service to get out early and yeah, Johnny can't like. It's such a bad. It's such a bad choice to to clap back at Robbie with the. Hey, I'm not the guy that put him in the hospital. All right, uh, you know. But I mean, as we know, Johnny's still figuring out how to be a dad, and it's like his father son relationship with Miguel works so much better for him because Miguel's sometimes the father in that relationship. Like we've talked a lot about that of how. Uh, Miguel, like Johnny needs Miguel just as much sometimes because Miguel can yeah. kind of step in for him in, in, in some cases, but because they don't have that extra baggage that Robbie has where he was kind of abandoned by his father and he shouldn't have to fill that role for his dad in a lot of cases. Um, yeah. and, in, and, and, in a lot of, because, you know, whatever it be, people that like like the show or whatever, and, you know, you got your, you like this character, you like this character, you dislike this character, dislike that character. Like, Robbie is, pr- like, the best evidence of Johnny being, like, an actual piece of shit. Uh, yes. Just in the way he was a father. I mean, we understand that because we root for him because we know more about him and we've heard him talk about how scared he was when he went to that burger place and... He's just kind of run away from it, but it's hard to reason that if you are Robbie and it is like one of the, the, the worst things he's done. So he, he needs to do much better to make up for that. Yeah. So at the school, Dimitri's bringing in the science project that he's doing with Yasmin, I guess. Uh, and they're flirting. Yeah. <laughs> and moon's there and, the science project he did is a big Lego thing, which would be pretty shit, but it does kind of expel some smoke, which I guess yeah. makes it science. But uh, he's talking about how it's like meticulously assembled to scale or whatever. <laughs> but I'm also like, is Dimitri supposed to be really smart or really stupid? Because he seems yeah. to be really stupid yeah. and just like counting stuff like how many bricks was in this or whatever. Because this is not a good science project. <laughs> but what, the question I was thinking, and maybe I only have one other example of this, but has there, has there ever been a movie or TV show where you see an elaborate project like this and the, the, the goal it of it is get destroyed? Yeah, of it getting destroyed. And I mean, <laughs> one of, I mean one, of, one of my uh, in the chamber references is in Gilmore Girls, a uh, show I watch like almost every day. Um, <laughs> Paris Geller has one like this. It's like this to scale model of like uh, a city that's, you know, it's a historic city. I forget the specifics. And then unfortunately, Rory Gilmore like turns around quick and bumps into her <laughs> and it shatters all over the floor right before she's about to go into class to make this presentation. I think it's even like Rory's like first or second day of class. But that's all I'm thinking of, because as soon as you see this, you know, it's going to get smashed. 
Uh, and that's just the goal of that happening. And thinking back in school, I don't think I've ever seen a kid make a big ass project like this to turn in, but maybe I just went to school with dumb kids. I don't know. Demetrius seems pretty dumb. <laughs> that's true. Um, I mean, I, I, I only say this cause it's probably cause it's made out of Lego and I guess, you know what, if it was in school, school obviously sucks. And if someone, if you're like, yeah, whatever, I'm going to make it a Lego thing and I'm going to like connect some shit that press a button and smoke comes out. If I was a teacher, I'd be like, yeah, whatever. A, I guess like that's, or I'd be like, that's someone cares. Someone cares even a little bit about what we're, what we're doing. Yeah. It's like how I, and I think you possibly have had the same experience, but I'd always try to turn things into, yeah, how can we make this a film or like a little video clip <laughs> yeah. or maybe a radio show? Can I do like a, a creative like thing that I care about instead of the thing that the assignment is, but I'll just tangentially connect that to whatever it is. Um, so I don't know if you've had that experience. Oh, totally. Yet, I feel like that's what he's doing. Yeah. That's constantly what, like when I was in my Spanish class, I only took Spanish because you had to do a video project uh, at least once a year. And we would just make our own videos and just kind of have to put them in Spanish. <laughs> yes. Uh, Hola. But yeah, also, I love the, uh, I mean, clearly him just juggling the soccer ball. That's a, that's a classic um, Daniel San routine, right? When he's uh, cause he's like, hey, twenty two in a row, cause he's like juggling it on his uh, on his knees or whatever. That's like what Danielson yeah. taught Allie back in the day. Love to see it. Absolutely. Except now it's a TikTok because they're <laughs> filming it. Yeah. Um, of <laughs> and I guess, yeah, he's Hawk's obviously annoyed that Moon is hanging out with Dimitri and about Dimitri in general. So uh, he kicks the football over, smashes the whole model. I am kind of like. I don't see any tubes or anything. So how does this mechanism work? Because this is obviously like CG smoke. But yeah. I'm like, how did it work though? Because yeah. I don't see a thing to make it. <laughs> yeah, when it got um, smashed, you would have seen some sort of inner workings. But I mean, that's just us. That's why that's why podcasts exist. So we can sit there and be like, but <laughs> but seriously, how would he have made that work? <laughs> yeah, we're being dicks. Um, so this well, leads to, but a, a real, a real nitpick is, um, I mean, they bring Yasmin back and I like the Yasmin and Dimitri thing they've teased since I would argue season one, although she wasn't really in mm. season two, but like yeah. they kind of, kind of play with the idea and not that anything's happened yet, but I don't know. They're, they're taking shortcuts already with her, like the Yasmin we knew from season one would not think this was cool. Cause they even have a moment where she, when she sees the smoke, she's like, wow, like, Oh my God. Uh, I just, I don't buy it really. Yeah. I think that's a, a, a fair call out, <laughs> but I'm so into it also because yeah. I'm a nerd. And yeah. She's hot. So, you know, <laughs> so we're all going to buy it. All us men watching this. Um, yeah. So there's an escalation, uh, where, uh, basically Hawk, the fucking mastermind uh, taunts Sam into giving him a push right when the counselor's there, and then spits some sh- spits some high level Twitter shit. This I like. He, how he was triggered in his safe space, and <laughs> we need to stop the aggression, micro and macro. Yeah, does a great job of this, and kind of retreating into his uh, before pre hawk persona. I don't even remember his name. I'm not Eli. Use his dead name. No, that's his dead name. <laughs> that's true. Now. That is his dead name. Um, 
but, you know, he kind of uses some of that to his advantage, much like he kicked the fucking log at the bottom or whatever, you know? Yeah. He's getting them in trouble, but he's he he's the one who... Yeah, you, you get it. <laughs> his mind is agile. He's fighting smart, as Kreese would say. Uh, exactly. And, you know, you got to love a character that... It's a classic. You've seen it in movies and TV shows where... I mean, you're basically being gaslighted by the villain because you're like, no, this person sucks. But the more crazy you get, you're just making yourself look yes. bad and you're playing right into their hands. So, uh, yeah, you know, he destroys it. Uh, that took me two weeks or three weeks to build. It took me th took my ball three seconds to destroy it. Uh, and then they all have to. Oh, I like that. He even. Is like, oh, you shouldn't bring your toys to school. So he's even like yeah. downplaying the fact that it was for a, a project. Like the teacher doesn't yeah. hear anything about Dimitri saying it was my class project because she just sees yeah. Legos and Hawks calling it toys. Yes, uh, that's great. But I also think that's like he he should he shouldn't have though. <laughs> <laughs> like also, I'm like, I swear you could rebuild that quite quickly. It's not yeah. that like Legos pretty quick to put together unless. Although I suppose to him it's like a scale model or whatever. The problem is it doesn't look like anything. It just looks like a thing. If he said like this is exactly this mountain that's you know at the edge of the valley, then I would get why it has to be meticulously put together one way. But it doesn't look like anything. I'm done talking about this project. Yeah, we're in Okinawa. <laughs> uh, Daniel gets the tourism information about how things have really changed. They used to have a subway. Now they have a Jersey Mike's. And he kind of drifts over to this dance performance, sees Kumiko, has all the flashbacks, all the dance and all the good times and even the smooches and running on the beach. Fucking amazing. She spots him, immediately clocks that that's Danielson, who, <laughs> yeah. who she hasn't seen in 35 years. Jim, these two were meant to be together. This is fate bringing them back together. Oh, what's that? He's married and has a failing car business? Let's not worry about it. It is surprising. Like, rewatching this episode... And I mean, again, I guess this is slight spoilerish. Is that they don't really expand much on their relationship past this episode? But rewatching this episode, they do play it like a, a little too romantic, in my opinion. Um, yeah, it's hella romantic. Yes, and like especially they, like the fact that when they're talking about how, oh, you know, you never got a guy to marry you or something, and then she's like, well, no, no one fought for the, to the death for me. And then when even at the end before Chosen shows up and they have their like hand, they both reach for the glass and their hands touch and they like look at each other. It's like, Jesus, thank God Chosen showed up. Otherwise, he just would have, you know, it would have been game over. He would have forgot all about Miyagi-Do, his dealership, his wife. He just would have lived. He would have moved to Okinawa, started a new family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's always what should have happened anyway after. <laughs> I don't get why. Well, I mean, for Miyagi especially, has the love of his life over here, decides to go back. I really got to run my, I don't know, I really got to be Daniel's sensei or whatever. I really got to go back to, to California. Uh, yeah, she's like, many have tried. None fought to the death for me. Uh, they have all this flirty, flirty shit, which I'm on board with because I ship them. Yeah, but it's also fucked up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's like it is great stuff to see because, yeah, you, you got to love Daniel and, and Kumiko. But just in the, the realm of his actual life, it's you, it does give a lot of credence to what you were talking about at the beginning of him, like 
seemingly, uh, you know, sneaking around behind his wife's back, I guess, inadvertently. Because, again, he didn't plan on this, but it did happen. Imagine if he had, like, find my phone on or whatever, so him and Amanda can always see where the other person is, and she just sees his dot move over to Okinawa, gives him a call. Like, imagine in this scene, like, I know they're, you know, looking at Miyagi's letters or whatever. When they're sitting on that porch, the romantic lighting with the garden there and everything, and they're reading old romantic letters as well. Just imagine Amanda calling, like, hey, uh, how's it going with the meetings? And he's, like, on a video chat, and he's like, oh, like, if if you're somewhere and your significant other calls you and you're like, I can't answer because of the situation I've put myself in, maybe you should question the situation you've put yourself (laughs) in uh, first. That's just my... uh, advice as a uh, certified relationship counselor uh so, i agree and football, then yeah in the meantime yeah they're playing some some uh football or soccer as it's known <laughs> uh and this is where they get to you know fight but not fight plus again it's a nice callback to them kind of fighting on the soccer field in karate kid uh yeah. so because what sam's like oh you know, can't play a little soccer without a little contact, huh? And it get to the point where even like Dimitri goes up to Hawk and he's just talking shit. And then he just decides to fucking sweep his feet like right out from under him, like really kicking some ass. Uh, the coach doesn't know what to do. Like, hey, what's going on? All right. Enough of this because it gets to the point where they're doing, yeah, like jump kicks to people's heads while they're playing yeah. this soccer game. It's so blatant, and I guess we're seeing the new, n- newly branded uh, Sam version of Miyagi-Do, because she's the new leader. We saw it at the end of the last episode, and she's like, yeah, basically, let's fuck him up. Uh, this, w- which adds up with where she's at, because, you know, I believe uh, Dan- Daniel, her father and sensei's advice was, uh, you can't let people win. You always got to fight back or something along yeah. those lines. You can't run from a fight. She's like, all right, I'll run right out of him and drop kick him on the football field. It's fine. Um, it doesn't work. I guess I kind of like that it doesn't work because they're just so blatantly yes. fighting. Um, and they get sent to, because I guess Sam's plan doesn't work. They, the same thing happens as would have happened if they just started a fight in the halls, basically. And they get brought to the principal's office, but it it's all... Again, we've seen the hawk can kind of be a slippery snake and slither out of these things. So it kind of ends up with the Miyagi crew being punished while the others are not. Yeah. Uh, which and is very frustrating with the whole gaslighting thing you mentioned. Exactly. Because Sam even gets to the point where she's yelling like, this is bullshit. Like basically to teachers. Like a crazy person. Yes. And yeah. reinforcing the idea that she's a bad kid because they get, what what does she call it? The... Um, the rehabilitative uh, weekend detention is not punitive. Uh, and then Sam even gets like an extra weekend because she is freaking out. Understandably, she's frustrated, but she's playing right into their hands. Uh, let me back it up a bit. Like we talked a little bit about this initial conversation between uh, Kumiko and Daniel. Now, I guess I don't have like a strong opinion on this, but would it have been that crazy if Kumiko didn't have kind of like broken English? Because that's that's not how the actress talks, um, and it's been thirty well, something years. You know, like I don't know. What what do you think? Is, is that a choice that even matters, or what? This is a big question, Jim, that we're not equipped to answer. Uh, it's a big question that should be asked really about Mr. Miyagi as well. Sure. Um, <laughs> obviously, uh, I kind of feel like this is. 
mean, but so Mr. Miyagi. Well, I mean, I guess Mr. Miyagi. Yeah, he he has been at that point. He's been in America for forty years. But also, I feel like the Mr. Miyagi character is a little bit more reasoning behind it because he's clearly a character that's closed himself off from the rest of the world until he kind of builds mm, this relationship with Daniel. And then he starts to open himself back up again. Whereas Kumiko is kind of set up as like, she's, she's like well-traveled and I mean, again, I'm not saying like this is a bad thing, but I'm just thinking like, uh, is it a bad thing? Is it a bad thing that they have this character like uh, still, you know, uh, speak the way she speaks? I, I think it is a good question, but I mean, just realistically, I, I, I was going to say that she is the only, unless I'm mistaken, she's like the only central, actually Asian character. I mean, actually Asian, not like Kyle, who's Asian American yeah. um, in the show, obviously, besides Mr. Miyagi, who's also Asian American, but she is it's almost like she's carrying the torch of the mr miyagi accent kind of true in this uh which you know isn't a problem in itself i would also but it might be i don't know i'm not really equipped to say but i do think uh also japanese is just so fucking different to english true <laughs> like yeah. it's not like swedish and english where i'm fluent in both uh, and i might have a slight accent where you know people it's only those really, uh, from what I've gathered, again, from media and, and just podcasts or whatever videos, it's only the people who are really rich in Japan who have a flawless accent because they go and fucking study at Cambridge or whatever. Like, they're the ones who may, or like go to a prep school in, in Europe. That's kind of yeah. the only way because languages are so different uh, to have like a flawless uh Yeah, I mean, again, I'm so. not even saying like that it should be, fl- I don't know. I was just, it was something I thought about rewatching it. Yeah. And I, I was just, I mean, I didn't dig into it. I was wondering if there was discourse or there's some people that do look for things to kind of argue or point out. I was wondering if this is something that came up. Although I have read, um, uh, I read a few interviews with um, the actress that plays uh, Kumiko. I'm spacing on her name. Oh, Tamlin Tamita. And she did talk about how, like one of the reasons why before she came back, she did want to make sure that things were more authentic. So I'm sure yeah. she did have some input on how, how it would play out uh, because she, you know, even going with the dance from Karate Kid Part 2, because she talks a lot about how they made it more cinematic and changed it a bit for the film. And she was just like, like a new actress, so she didn't feel like it was her place to try to correct them. Uh, but with... Mm-hmm bring it to Cobra Kai. That's why it's like a little different because it's more authentic. Um, although someone else on my Facebook feed who was Asian pointed out that when they're holding up the letters, they're holding them up wrong or something. So they did miss that, but she did bring a lot of her own, um, uh, like possessions and stuff that were from Okinawa to use for like set dressing and stuff. Like it was important for her that the, uh, the representation was a little bit more authentic, when it came to some of that. So I guess if anything, she had some input on it and maybe that was kind of her take as well. Yeah. If you're talking about like the discourse on it, I've not seen anything specifically about her character. All of the, say if people looking for things to complain about, or, you know, not as you don't really have to look if your complaint is that, you know, 
the show is about white men. <laughs> it's ex- exclusively about white men, with the exception of Miguel, obviously, but talking about the dojos or whatever, it's like, uh, y- if you want something to complain about, you'll find it in, in that fact, probably, rather than uh, these depictions and, and the lack of uh, more of an Asian presence in the cast, which we're obviously uh, improving here in, in season three. So it's great to see. Um, yeah, so they flirt like fucking crazy, right? And he talks about... And I do think it's a, I think it is a bit much that they made her character basically holding a candle for Daniel. Uh, I guess it does make sense Mm -hmm. the way she puts it, that he did fight for the death, uh, fight to the death for, for him, uh, for her. Um, But it's kind of like, it is this weird, uh, uh, like fantasy fulfillment of like, ah, I got this chick. Uh, I mean, I was her, her first and her best. You know what I mean? Like no one could stack up to me. Daniel son, Daniel LaRusso, you know, it's, it's a little much like it, it would have been fine if she was married and, and had kids. It, it, I don't think it really changes much. Uh, in, in my opinion, it's just a, it's a kind of a bizarre detail to me. For sure. Uh, I guess the only argument against that is that we already have Ali and we sure. know that she's out there and is married and has moved on and has her own thing. So this is just kind of giving us a little bit more uh, to play with in our fan fiction, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> it is kind of fan servicey in the way that it's also like wish fulfillment for Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> and we are Daniel. Uh, and Daniel, by the way, in this conversation gets to say the, the sort of line that he's the age now that Mr. Miyagi was when he met him. Um, which obviously has been pointed out many a time, but I don't think in the show. Um, yeah. But he talks about feeling disconnected and unsure what he should be doing, and Miyagi always helped, so she says, maybe I can help with that. And uh, it, we'll see what that happens with that later. But, of course, we have Johnny uh, drinking again, uh, as he's wont to do, in a, in a bar that has, like, a no-guns sign. Is this a thing you have to have in the U.S., Jim? Is that a... Th- is- you need these signs. Is there a no gun sign? I don't think I even noticed it. Oh, well, no guns that's allowed. You're American, Jim. <laughs> I didn't even see uh, that there. I mean, I don't. Well, it depends. I I can't imagine there's anywhere in California. Is is California open carry? I think it's supposed to be a very sleazy bar anyway, because it's yeah. got like a moose head with bras and fucking knickers hanging off it. Um, so. You know, it's a dive. Yeah, because, I mean, I could see, like, I'm in Nevada, and Nevada does have open carry laws, so you could almost see that here. Uh, California's a little bit more strict, although maybe they do have some counties that are open carry. So maybe it does wash. Maybe it does work out. Interesting. Plus it is there anyway. Yeah, I guess it is trying to show that it's just like, yeah, it's it's a sleazier bar. It's not the chains that Johnny's used to going to, like a Chili's or an Applebee's or wherever the hell he (laughs) usually goes. Yeah, he's used to the high life. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It is one of those places where you just throw your peanut shells everywhere. That's how you know it's bad as well. Uh, so yeah, the no gun sign, just icing on the cake. But it is hilarious how Kreese is like, I thought I'd find you here. It's like, you did? Like, we, it's not like we've seen him ever go here before, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. Um, yeah, Chris kind of gives his pitch here of why he's right. 
And I think this is kind of his offer for Johnny to come back, right? Yeah. Because he's talking about... Because he Johnny gives him, like, a time limit while the cop gets his sandwich because he can't fuck him up right there and then. Um, which we know we know he's want to do. Like, the first time they saw each other, first episode of season two, Johnny just fucking attacked him. Like, that's where he started. He's definitely there again and would be more than happy to try to fuck him up. Uh, but there... He, he's kind of listening to Crease's arguments, but uh, he's not having any of it. But it does give us a bit of an insight into Crease. Yeah, well, it's what I talked about recently, too. Um, it's the way that Crease is so sure. It's like I cannot see that Johnny going back to Crease ever. But Crease makes me believe it can happen. I know, and yeah. that's the scary part about it. And that's kind of what I like. And yeah. I mean, obviously the writers could come up with something and maybe that could happen, but like I'm afraid and, and the fact that I'm afraid of it may, means it probably would happen. Uh, mm-hmm. But right now I just don't see a way, but that's what I, I do really like this kind of fear of the unknown of like, oh my God, like he does maybe still have some sort of hold on Johnny and I don't want that to grow, but it's very dangerous that it could. Um, but Johnny rebuffs him, rebukes his advances, uh, and that's pretty much it. Just threatened, because um, I think the thing here is that Johnny, excuse me, Crease mentions that, you know, we're going to get that kid back on his feet, which again, it feels like Johnny's kind of looking for whatever input. He's just in bars and, and drifts from place to place, like bounces between his two sons, and whatever input goes into his brain, he's like, oh yeah, I should check in on Miguel. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, yeah. he mentions that, and he so he threatens to that to he threatens Chris, tells him to stay away from Miguel, but also probably realizes I shouldn't be here drinking. I should be with Miguel right now. I already fucked it up with Robbie. So he's got a bit of direction there because he he can see what Chris is doing and, and wants to do. And he wants, even though he doesn't think himself worthy of being necessarily anyone's teacher, he's still like, well, at least I'm better than Chris, so I can go and do try to help as much as I can. That's what my take on it, anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he does. He basically threatens to kill him, like if you go near yeah. Miguel's family. And I guess maybe it does put it in perspective of like, uh, or even the idea of well, what if Chris did decide to go to Miguel, and if Miguel is lost and looking for a teacher. You know, I can't let that happen. Although, again, we talk a bit about how, like, Johnny keeps going back and forth from his different sons, and that might leave his other, his actual son open for that exact fear that he has for Miguel. And the thing Miguel was asking for, you know, like, why did this happen to me? And Johnny, because he's, you know, getting to be more emotionally mature and, like, understanding that the universe is complicated, not black and white, he would he would he said before i don't know imagine if crease got asked that question yes. he would have an answer and yeah. he'd be so like he believes his bullshit so much that he makes other people fall in line so you're right miguel is definitely vulnerable in this spot right now uh which does bring us to if we'll get back to the love letters in a second but let's talk about this scene with uh with uh, Miguel and Johnny, because obviously Johnny shows up. It's a great clip. It was at the start of this episode. We had a bit of the audio of him yelling quiet, giving the dramatic inspiration of all his fucking never can't meaningless words. Time to get out on out of that bed and do something. He manages to inspire him, gets him to fall on his ass. What a great Cobra Kai moment. It's yes. so very 
uh, season one Cobra Kai, but brought back full circle. <laughs> yes, yeah, because you know w- one of the one of the the big draws or that keeps you coming back to the show, of course, was was Johnny and Miguel and Johnny being that sensei for him and actually by doing that, becoming better at being a person. And now things are getting back in place for that. And he's, yeah, going on his old tricks, like when he threw his inhaler and cured his all, <laughs> cured his uh, asthma. Uh, and it's like, we're just going to, we're going to just run right at this. We got this issue where you can't walk. We're just going to go right at it. We're just going to, we're not going to pussyfoot around this. We're just, you can't walk. Well, no, just walk. Just get out of the bed. We'll just do this. I mean, it doesn't quite work that way, but um, you know, Johnny's back in it. Miguel's in it. He's his, he's always going to be his teacher. He says, uh, and yeah, it's such a kick-ass moment and funny little gag to play at the end of it, that there's still work to go. Yep. And of course we, we check in briefly with Robbie as well, just having him get back. And as you mentioned, his book was not safe. Uh, <laughs> the the bullies in jail get to leave, have this sort of line about like just make fun of him, talk about how he's got no one, you got nothing. It's kind of uh, over the top, like it's simplistic. As I said, it's a storyline that always happens, except with less sexual assault. So I guess that's good. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, Robbie's not having a great time, and just as you said, he's kind of uh, left for that type of. Uh, attack from maybe a cobra coming out of the dark and that's exactly what happens as we see him meet up with crease uh to to finish this off so he couldn't get to miguel so fuck it he'll he'll go after robbie yeah yeah and it is a genius crease move um because you know it's gonna be yeah either miguel or robbie is a great way in for johnny uh, and as we kind of just talked about, both Robbie and Miguel are in vulnerable situations where they need someone, and Crease is going to fill that role, or at least he's going to attempt to. We'll see how that goes. And I almost feel like Crease is diabolical enough to like go and talk to Johnny, knowing it's going to fail, but he mentions like that we're going to get Miguel walking again, just yeah. so that Johnny will focus his attention there, so that he can go and poach Robbie. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't put it past him. Like he's that he's that dude. Uh, that's that's Crease for you. Yeah. So let's jump back for a bit because we have the scene in Okinawa when they're in. Uh, Yuki's house, where which where we spent a lot of uh, uh, the karate, the Karate Kid Part Two. I think it's because that's where we were, right? When I believe so. This, yeah, stuff was happening. That's where Daniel so, almost tried to kill Chosen when he was going to stab him <laughs> with that big dagger. I think that's there yeah. or in the whereabouts. Great times. Yeah, when they were fucking up the place because they wanted because his master wanted to fight Mr. Miyagi. It's very over the top, like way more over the top than what's happening in Cobra Kai. Uh, anyway, we've already talked about how incredibly romantic the whole situation is and how that's kind of fucked up, but let's get to the part about her actually reading out Mr. Miyagi's words. Um, this feels a more, you know, genuine, more of a genuine connection with the past Mr. Miyagi than, than when Daniel's like, you know, uh, man who worked for passion, you know. Yeah, and they do the thing that you life. kind of, you know, recommended. They they get to undercut it with a joke uh, like that Miyagi would make. Uh, you know, I've, I've heard that in a car commercial or whatever it is he says. So it does, yeah. it does ring more true and it plays pretty well. Um, you know, I kind of did. I didn't love it as much as some of the other Miyagi stuff they've done. Like, 
it's a bit much when he's kind of like, oh, this letter was the week he died. Like, I don't know. It's like, I don't know. You don't have to be that on the nose, in my opinion. Um, but it, it still works. Yeah, and I think sort of the the important gist of what happens here, right, is that um, Mr. Miyagi, we get to hear this bit that he never would have told Daniel himself necessarily, but he talks about how he was lost and feeling all over the place and not sure what he was doing with his life. As you said, he was like isolating himself from the rest yeah. of society until he met Daniel and how that opened everything up for him, which is very beautiful and very much what's happened with Johnny and Miguel, obviously, more so than Daniel and anyone else, really, because yeah. he's just based, Sam is his protege, basically. Um, but I think it's, uh, I, I may have to rewatch it exactly, but I think the, the point of it is for where we're at right now for him is finally hopefully this lesson might land with daniel that it's okay to not know what you're doing all the time because obviously miyagi has also been lost and he always talks about mr miyagi always knew what to do and i don't blah 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 but it's very clear that that was never really the case and at least now daniel gets to hear that firsthand yeah yeah although it's like daniel you should remember one of the most important scenes in the movie that is your life uh was when you you saw that mr miyagi was just a man when you came in and you know put him to bed and then bowed to him like although i just stop jim i'm gonna cry yeah exactly (laughs) don't mention that scene (laughs) yeah exactly i mean although i can't fault them for kind of uh you know bringing that up as a reoccurring theme and it is kind of playing off the same idea of is what that segment is playing off of uh, but maybe Daniel does need that reminder. And as he kind of talks about, I'm not sure if it's in this episode or the episode before. Um, I think it might, might be this one, actually. He, you know, he does have people that keep looking. They, they're looking to him constantly for answers. And unfortunately for Daniel, he doesn't really have someone else to look to for advice or help like he did have for with Mr. Miyagi. Um, you know, and, and you, you do, it does remind you of like, well, who was Miyagi's Miyagi when he had to, you know, be, be Mr. Miyagi himself. So it, it does work. It's, it's, I didn't love it as much as kind of I expected, but it's still, it's still very good. Very well done. Yeah. And the bit that he's like, it's people, not signs that guide us. And, you know, that's, I heard that in the car commercial, which is very good. Like yeah. exactly the thing I suggested last time. Um, and, uh, it's it's just funny that signs literally brought him here though <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> I true i feel like it was like the fortuitously the ad was on tv and he's there for for that reason but whatever uh at least daniel gets to have a, a lovely night they definitely didn't fuck after this right <laughs> or did they they there's better fan not fiction have. alone will tell now there there's go. gotta be plenty of fan fiction stories right and we'll again like And maybe partially, because this obviously this isn't as bad as when he runs into the fisherman uh, was in season two when he's just kind of remember when Daniel's just like (laughs) roaming around the beach like it's nowhere. (laughs) But like partially when some of this stuff is happening, your your voice is ringing in my head when you're talking when you're like breaking down like how stupid that was. And but when I watched it, I didn't really think that. 
Uh, and then I'm like, oh no, it's, this isn't Daniel roaming around the beach and running into a Miyagi stand in who kind of gives him Miyagi advice, but he's not Miyagi, but he is like in the distance. It's almost (laughs) like he looks like him. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, that's, I'm very glad to hear that I've influenced your viewing (laughs) in that way. So next time we see them, right, they're at a bar and it's very funny. They have the ice sheets. If you've seen Karate Kid Part 2, you've seen Daniel in the ice, but it's just to put in there whiskey or whatever or sake i suppose um i have to point out this scene starts with him going like you know hearing those letters last night it was like i was back with mr miyagi they never mentioned where he staged like was he staying at a hotel or was it just a little bit too late to check into one oh my mm, god big empty house um, please don't do this <laughs> please don't do I'm this Jacob. <laughs> she, who's fought to the death for her is there anyone else in that house who did i don't know no, we'll no. see um so then we guess uh, I, I guess the the only important thing that happens after this is that we see chosen show up which is a great thing to yeah. to end the episode with and then they have like the flashbacks for that as well don't they yeah, yeah they, oh, do. they sure do yeah, they Jim. Sure they have do. a series of flashbacks on am i even asking uh, again all oh, they do even have a clip of when he tries to stab him with the spear because i'm <laughs> playing it right here that is one of my favorite moments where Daniel tries to murder this person. Uh, when ev- whenever you want to talk about how Daniel's the real villain. I mean, in my opinion, that's the most villainous thing he's ever done. Because, uh, I mean, I get that, you know, Chosen was destroying some property, but still you were going to murder him. Uh, and again, I, 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 I'm not going to call these flashbacks out too much because not everyone's watching the movies before they watch the show. So you're, they're filling in some context, which is okay. For sure. And it's a great way to end the episode. I mean, we've we've talked about this one for a long while, but how could we not? It's Okinawa. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure we'll get more of that next time. Um, do make sure to leave a review of No Mercy, Cobra Kai Kickback on Apple Podcasts if you have a moment. We also have loads of other shows available at showswhatyouknow.com. Uh, and I would ask you to email any thoughts you might have on what we've discussed to showswhatyouknowshow at gmail.com. Maybe we'll have a little towards the end of the season catch up of everyone's feedback and see what see if, if, we're, we're, if we're fucking crazy people, you and I, Jim, with our yeah. takes. Maybe there are hotter takes out there for us to partake in um real quick i meant to do this at the beginning and i i meant to do this beginning of last week's too um we did get reviews we have we have a couple like we only have like three but we have three reviews we could have read uh Hmm. captain erebus uh great podcast perfect companion go help uh, dive into the details of the show and the movies can't wait for season three so that was in september so it was before um and then db death lord an excellent commentary companion piece uh, Jim and Jacob do an excellent job of reviewing the episodes, and I can hear the smiles in their voices. Ah, I like that. Uh, I love the jokes and references and different takes on the show. I would like to hear maybe an Ash versus Evil Dead uh, or Robbie with Rory Scovel review in the future. Keep up the great work from a longtime fan. Uh, and then we have another one. Best show about the best show from the El Notorious one. This is fairly recent. Uh, Jim and Jacob break down Cobra Kai, the Karate Kid anthology, the, and Karate Kid and Karate in film better than anybody. Uh, I could listen to these two talk about anything. And after finally watching Cobra Kai, I finally got to listen to this great show, much like their Soprano show, Cut to Black. They break down every episode in the funniest and most genuine genuine way possible. Watch this great show and listen to the Perfect Partner podcast right here with Jim and Jacob. Very kind, very very good reviews. Thank you so much. 
Notorious even got the plug of our other show in there. Sometimes yes. we forget to do that. Check <laughs> yeah. out Cut to Black on your podcatcher of choice for Sopranos content. Thank you, everyone, who's left a review. Uh, additional reviews, very much appreciated. And, of course, you can tweet at us. I, I forget I forget this as well, but we're at, at shows what you know. That's you, the letter you, because of Twitter's character limit. Uh, but we, we tweet... We do some tweets there, uh, and you can tweet at us and recommend the show to someone. That would also be very helpful. Is there anything else, though, Jim? Yes, there's actually one more thing. Oh, what's that? Strike first. Strike hard. No No mercy. mercy.